going to preach from the book of Jonah. I told someone that and they said to me, oh, the man who had a whale of a time. Do you know, I've been a Christian since 1980 and I have never heard that before, ever, you'd think, wouldn't you? But no. But first, before we get to Jonah, there's a couple of scriptures I um, want to share with us. The first one is Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Let's read it together. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We can see when we read this that Jesus is teaching kingdom principles here, kingdom values, and they are very, very different to worldly values. That is not, blessed are you when people insult you. No, when people are insulting me, I don't feel blessed. God's value said, I am. And so that's how I have to change my heart around. Listen to how the Passion Translation puts some of these verses. Can I just say, the Passion Bible is a trans, translation. Sorry, Alan, you don't need to come and see me afterwards. A translation, not the Bible. Um, it's okay for reading, but it's not okay. It's like the message. Don't use it as your main Bible. It's good to reflect because they do say things slightly different and the Passion says things slightly softer. But hey, you need to be in a straight Bible for your everyday Bible reading. Okay, everyone understanding what I'm saying? Listen to this. I love how it words this. How satisfied you are when you demonstrate tender mercy, for tender mercy will be demonstrated to you. What bliss you experience when your heart is pure, for then your eyes will open to see more and more of God. How blessed you are when you make peace, for then you will be recognized as a true child of God. The title of my message this morning is Be Careful With Your Heart and the subtitle and Be Careful With Other People's. Jesus is saying a kingdom heart hold dif holds different values to the worldly heart. 
In Proverbs chapter 4, 23, Solomon is instructing his son. He is, Solomon is recorded as being the wisest man who ever lived, and he is passing on his wisdom to his son, and he says these words, above all else. In other words, above everything I have told you, note this well, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Please, please note that scripture. Underline it in your Bible. Memorize it. Guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. Now Jesus reiterates this in Luke chapter 6. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man or woman brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man or woman brings evil things out of the evil stored up in their heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Oh my gosh, we can pretend we are all sweetness and light, but our mouth will let us down if it's not. We're going to look at the story of Jonah, the story of a man whose heart was lacking mercy and love. His heart had not been cared for. And we're going to read about that. So let me pray. Father, thank you for your word that you will not return void, that it will not return void this morning. I thank you for its truth, its power, its instruction. I thank you, Father, that it's living. I pray, Father God, for each and every one of us that we will be open, Holy Spirit, to your presence here, taking the words I speak and placing them in our hearts to produce the fruit that you desire for us today. I thank you that you have something for each and every one of us this morning. Father God, I pray for each and every one of us that we will have the grace to apply that which you speak to us this morning. In your name, Jesus, amen. A little girl was talking to her teacher about whales. The teacher said it was physically impossible for a whale to swallow a human because even though it is a very large mammal, its throat is very small. The little girl stated that Jonah was swallowed by a whale. Irritated, the teacher related, uh, the reiterated that a whale could not swallow a human. It was physically impossible. The little girl said, when I get to heaven, I will ask Jonah. And the teacher said, what if Jonah went to hell? And the little girl said, you can ask him. <laughs> By the way, nowhere in the Bible does it say the fish that swallowed Jonah was a whale. Nowhere. And I must apologize in advance because the scripture me reading this morning does mention the word whale, which just goes to prove you can't trust you true to be telling you the truth. Some scholars say that the story of Jonah is a myth or an allegory, that it didn't really happen. 
Well, let's start by discovering the truth about this. This is Jesus that's talking. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Why do I believe that the story of Jonah is true? Because Jesus said it was. Okay, a little bit of historical background. Jonah was a prophet, and the book of Jonah differs from the other prophetic books because most the other prophetic books are about the prophetic messages that the prophet spoke. The book of Jonah is about the prophet himself. Jonah ministered under King Jeroboam II, and you can read about that king's reign in 2 Kings chapter 14, starting at verse 23. So the book of Jonah was written approximately 785 to 760 BC. So with all that in mind, let's watch the story of Jonah. The Book of Jonah, a subversive story about a rebellious prophet who hates God for loving his enemies. Jonah's unique among the prophets of the Old Testament because they're typically collections of God's words spoken through the prophet. But this book doesn't actually focus on the words of the prophet. Rather, it's a story about a prophet, a really mean and nasty prophet. Jonah appears only one other time in the Old Testament. It's during the reign of Jeroboam II, one of Israel's worst kings. And Jonah prophesied in his favor, promising that he would win a battle and regain all this territory on Israel's northern border. Now, it's important to know that the prophet Amos also confronted Jeroboam, and through him, God specifically reversed Jonah's prophecy, promising that Jeroboam would lose all of those same territories because he was so horrible. So before the story of Jonah even begins, we are suspicious of Jonah's character. The book of Jonah has a beautiful design with all this literary pairing and symmetry. So you have chapters 1 and 3 telling the story of Jonah's encounter with non-Israelites, first with some sailors and then with Jonah's hated enemies, the Ninevites. And each part offers a comic contrast between Jonah's selfishness and the pagans' humility and repentance. Chapters 2 and 4 contain prayers of Jonah. One is a prayer of repentance, kind of, and the other is a prayer in which Jonah chews out God for being too nice. Now, this careful design of the book is matched by a really unique style of narration. The story is full of all of these stereotyped characters who, ironically, do the exact opposite of what you think they would do. So you have the prophet, the man of God, who rebels and hates his own God. You have the sailors who are supposed to be really immoral, but actually they have soft, repentant hearts and turn to God in humility. You have the king of the most powerful, murderous empire on the planet, and he humbles himself before God because of Jonah's five-word sermon, and even the king's cows repent. This kind of story fits what today we would call satire. These are stories about well-known figures who are placed in extreme circumstances, and they use humor and irony to critique their stupidity and character flaws. 
let's just dive in and we'll see how all the pieces work together. The story opens as God addresses Jonah and commissions him to go preach against the evil and injustice in Nineveh, the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, Israel's bitter enemy. But instead of going east to Nineveh, Jonah goes in the opposite direction, finding a ship going as far west as you can go to Tarshish. Now the big question here is why? Why does Jonah run? Is he afraid? Does he just not like Ninevites? And we're not told yet. So the man of God tries to run from God, and he boards a ship full of pagan sailors. He goes down into the ship, and then he falls asleep. So God sends a huge storm to wake up his prophet, while ironically the sailors above board are wide awake to everything that's happening. They can discern that there's a divine power at work here. So they throw the dice, and they discover that Jonah, he is the culprit. So they ask Jonah to explain himself, and Jonah spouts off a whole bunch of religious mumbo-jumbo. He says, yeah, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God who made the sea and the dry land. What a joke, right? God made the sea and the dry land all right, and Jonah's dumb enough to run from this God by getting on a boat? And when the sailors ask Jonah what they should do, he says, kill me, right, by throwing me overboard, which kind of seems noble at first until you realize this could actually be his most selfish move yet. I mean, what better way to avoid going to Nineveh? So he puts his blood on these innocent sailors' hands by trying to force them to kill him. They're reluctant, of course, and they repent to God even as they toss him over. The storm subsides, and they end up fearing the God of Israel, and unlike Jonah, they actually worship God. But God foils Jonah's plans to escape Nineveh. As Jonah's sinking, God provides this strange, watery tomb for him, the stomach of a large fish. Now, of course, under normal circumstances, this would be certain death. But in this story, everything's upside down. And so Jonah's submarine death becomes his passage back to life. Cramped in the stomach of this beast, Jonah utters a prayer, where he never technically says that he's sorry, but he does thank God for not abandoning him, and he promises that he will obey God from this point on, no matter what. And God's response is quite comic. The whale vomits Jonah back onto dry land. So once again, God commissions Jonah to go and preach in Nineveh, and Jonah complies. We're told that Nineveh was a gigantic city. It would take days to walk through. So Jonah gets one day in, and here is his message. 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. It's five words in Hebrew. Now, his sermon is very short, and it's also odd. I mean, look at what's missing. There's no mention of what the Ninevites have done wrong, or of what they should do to respond. There's no mention of who might overturn them. And most noticeable, there's no mention of God. What's going on here? Has Jonah intentionally given the bare minimum of information? It's like he's trying to sabotage his own message or ensure the Ninevites' destruction. There's just no effort on Jonah's part here. Whatever his motives are, the plan doesn't work. Because no sooner does he utter this five-word sermon that the king of Nineveh, the entire city, including all its cows, repent in sorrow and ashes. So for the second time, these evil pagans show themselves to be more responsive than God's own prophet. So God forgives the Ninevites, and he doesn't bring destruction on the city. Now, here's the brilliant part of the story. The last word of Jonah's short sermon, overturned, means just that, turned over. And it can refer to a city being overthrown or destroyed, like Sodom and Gomorrah, but it can also be used of something being transformed, like turned over and changed into its opposite. 
And so, comically, Jonah's words actually came true, but not in the way that he intended. Nineveh does get turned over as Jonah's enemies repent and find God's mercy. The final chapter brings all the pieces together. Jonah, he's fuming mad, and he utters his second prayer. He first tells God why he ran away back in chapter 1. It was not because he was afraid. Rather, it was because he knew that God was so merciful. And this is great. Jonah actually quotes God's own description of himself from the book of Exodus, and he throws it back in God's face as an insult. He says he knew that God is compassionate and that you would find some way to forgive these horrible Ninevites. You can just hear the disgust in Jonah's voice. Jonah then cuts off the conversation and he prays that God would kill him on the spot. He'd rather die than live with the God who forgives his enemies. Fortunate for Jonah, God doesn't comply and simply asks if Jonah's anger is even justified. Jonah ignores the question and he goes outside the city to camp on a nearby hill, waiting to see what might happen. You know, the Ninevites might repent of their repentance and get roasted after all. What happens next is very odd. God provides this viney plant to shade Jonah from the sun, and that makes him quite happy. But then God sends a tiny worm to eat up the plant, and so Jonah loses his shade. And there, in the heat of the sun, Jonah asks again that God kill him. So God, again, asks Jonah if his anger is justified, and Jonah barks back, absolutely just let me die. And those are Jonah's last words in the story. God's final words are what concludes the book. He says that this whole vine incident was an attempt to get through to Jonah, right? Jonah got all concerned and emotional over this vine, which he only enjoyed for a day. And God asked Jonah, you know, aren't humans a bit more valuable than vines? I mean, isn't it okay if God might feel the same kind of emotion and concern for the city of Nineveh that's full of thousands of people who have lost their way and also their cows? And that's how the book ends, with God asking Jonah for permission to show mercy to his enemies. And what is Jonah's answer? The story doesn't say, because that's not the point. The point is that the book is trying to mess with you. And God's questions here are actually addressed to you, the reader. Are you okay with the fact that God loves your enemy? And so this book holds a mirror up to the one who reads it. In Jonah, we see the worst parts of our own character magnified, which should generate humility and gratitude that God would love his enemies and put up with the Jonah in all of us. And so this strange story actually becomes a message of good news about the wideness of God's mercy that ought to challenge us to the core. And that's the book of Jonah. So what can we learn from the story of Jonah? Jonah knew the heart of God was full of love, mercy, and compassion which was okay when God's heart was toward Jonah, but it was not okay in Jonah's eyes when God's love, mercy, and compassion was for the Ninevites. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, a great but very evil empire at this time, and it was Israel's um, most dreaded enemy. The Assyrians flaunted their power before God and the world through numerous acts of heartless cruelty. And Jonah just didn't think the Ninevites deserved God's mercy and grace. 
And so when God asked him to go to Nineveh and prophesy God's intention and give them opportunity to repent, Jonah was furious. Why? Because he was upset in case they did repent and God would show them compassion. And so Jonah, Nineveh, was just a wee ways to the east and Jonah took off as far west as you could go. Tarshish is, is thought to be somewhere near Spain, Portugal. I don't think they, well, my commentary said they don't know exactly where it was. I wonder if that's where the saying came from, everything's gone west, I don't know. Google says it's not, but then Google doesn't know everything. Sometimes I might know more than Google. <laughs> not. Um, so let me ask you, has God ever asked you to show love, mercy, grace and compassion to someone who you don't think deserves it? Someone you don't like? Ooh, he has me. And he used that situation to show me my heart. And to be honest, I was horrified. I did not know it was within me. And thankfully, it didn't take one of his life's storms to get me sorted. I was so shocked by my lack of compassion. I asked for his forgiveness and went and got prayer with my supervisor for my dark, dark heart. You see, you can think you're okay. You can think that you've got compassion and then God will just give you a little nudge and put maybe someone across your path that you struggle with. And you know what? I say praise God for that revelation he gave me because it got to the root of what my problem was with this person, this, this root that I did not know was in my life. I ask you again, has God ever asked you to show love, mercy, grace, compassion to someone who you don't think deserves it? Are there people who, if you were really, really honest, you would think didn't deserve it? I think we'd all say no sitting here this morning. But I wonder if God gives you a little nudge. The story of the vine is very powerful. I think God was playing a little game with Jonah, but we mustn't miss the power that is in it. After all God has done for Jonah, rescued him from the storm, had the fish spew him out on the beach. Can you imagine that? Imagine you're sitting down at the beach, minding your own business, under an umbrella, soaking up the rays, and the next minute this huge fish grounds itself and spews out a man. Are you feeling ill enough? Shall I mention how he would stink, how he would be bleached white from the juice? Anyway, let's move on. That's not what the story is about. But, you know, because I have this creative mind, I can't help but think these things. So... God's done all this for Jonah. He's rescued him from the storm. He's had the fish spew him out on the beach. He's given him a second chance to carry out his assignment and there seems to be not much gratitude in Jonah's heart. He is so bound up in his bitterness, in his 
anger that God would dare to forgive the Ninevites that he can't see what God is doing for him. He just says, kill me, I want out of here. He still seems mad and bitter over the Ninevites repenting and then even madder still over the vine. It's just hard to believe that he can be so blind to God's grace for him. I believe God had this included not only for Jonah's sake but for ours too. Have you got any vines in your life? Are there things you are mad at God for? Are you more upset over your vine than you are for the lost? It's okay to be upset over your vine, but at the same time we must be upset over the lost. Some of the areas that we are disobedient to God are small compared to what Jonah did. But if our heart can't act out of the love, mercy and compassion we know God has for the whole world, then we are as disobedient as Jonah. You know, whether you steal $10 or $10 million, you're still a thief. Even if you tell a little lie, you're still a liar. Don't compare your little lie with a huge lie. Sin is sin. Sin is sin. If we can't rejoice when God blesses our enemies, then we have heart trouble. There is something clogging our spiritual arteries and we need to do something about getting help to let go our bitterness, our self-pity, our self-righteousness, etc. You know, this I said this morning, I really believe God's love is running after us this morning. There's no condemnation um, in his heart to our hearts through this message this morning. But he's saying, I want to warn you. I want to keep you alert to guard your hearts, protect your hearts, because bitterness, offense, self-righteousness, all can just come seeping in without recognizing that it's in there. I implore you to keep a close check on how your heart is reacting and on what comes out your mouth because it's what comes out your mouth that actually indicates what's really in your heart. And actually, that's a bit scary. If you need to, go and do what I did. Get someone to pray with you. And don't go to someone who's going to say, oh, no, really? They did that to you? That's terrible. Go to someone who's going to say to you, Maybe what they did wasn't okay. I'm not getting involved in that conversation. I wasn't there. But your attitude towards them stinks because that's what the person said to me. Your attitude towards that person stinks and you need to do something about your attitude and leave their behavior to God. Guard your hearts, church. Do not let pride add to your sin of bitterness and deny it's there. Go get the help 
You need to get rid of it. No one is going to condemn you for being humble and going and say, oh man, honestly, my heart's got some stuff in it that's not okay. No one's going to condemn you. Everyone's just going to high five you and say, well, good on you for coming and getting it sorted. If he has to, God may send storms into our lives. You know what, um, you know, because here's my mind overthinking things again. You know, people struggle with the whole story of Jonah because a fish's mouth and throat isn't big enough to swallow. I mean, do you know the thing I find hardest to believe about the story of Jonah is the fact he slept through a storm. Seriously? Seriously, what was that man? I know Jesus did it, but yeah, Jonah slept through that furious storm. I've had some furious crossings of Cook Strait, and I tell you what, there was no sleeping happening. So don't presume because you have a storm raging around you that it is the devil who has sent it. Ask the Lord if it is his doing. Is he trying to get your attention? And praise him for caring enough to put the storm in your life to get your attention and not just leaving you to your own dumb choices. You know, God was so gracious to Jonah. He res- I mean, he'd already false prophesied to the king. Um, then he doesn't want to do what God asked them to do because we need to remember, back in the Old Testament, not everybody was anointed with the Holy Spirit. That was released on the day of Pentecost that the Spirit of God would fall on all men and women who believed in him. This is before that. Only a handful were anointed by God. And Jonah had been anointed by God. He was a pretty privileged man. And what on earth did he do with that anointing? Which challenges me. What am I doing with the anointing that God has placed on my life? Am I running to Tarshish instead of to Nineveh? Spiritually speaking. Seriously, church, these are things we need to really check ourselves out for because it's so easy to just slide along and not actually recognize that some of the stuff is happening. Ask the Lord, is this storm from you, Lord? Should I be doing something about this? And even if the storm isn't from God, he can still use it to set us right. Jonah could have saved himself all the grief if he had only done what God asked him to do in the first place. Ouch. Who's had to go around a mountain? Don't put your hand up. It's, you don't need to answer this. More than one time because you didn't do what God asked you to do. You know, when God asks you to do something you don't want to do, go to him and ask him to work in you to make you willing. I had to do that when it was he asked us to go from, to India. I did not want to go to India. Well, it wasn't so much I didn't want to go to India. I didn't want to leave my son behind. I didn't want to leave New Zealand. So I had to go and I had to say, God, my choice is willing. Will you make my heart willing? And God did. God did. Go to him 
and say, you know, be honest, he's not going to fall off his throne because he knows what's in our hearts anyway. If you go to him and say, I'm not willing, he's not going to say, oh, really, that's a surprise. He's going to say, mm, I know, I've been waiting for you to come to me so I can work with you. <sighs> Please do not go into rebellion, self-pity and self-righteousness as Jonah did. You know, if you have a tendency to be judgmental, then really watch yourself because you can judge people just like Jonah judged Nineveh. The fact that they were evil isn't in dispute. They were evil. But God wanted to show his grace and favour to them. And the people that you might be judging and finding don't measure up to your standard, God might be wanting to bless them through you, through your prayers, through your love for them. Don't run away. Running away got Jonah into worse trouble. But in the end, Jonah understood that it is best to do what God asks in the first place. I wish we knew what happened to Jonah. Did he repent? Did he turn around? Or did he live the rest of his life this angry, self-righteous twit? When we obey God, he will lead us. His harsh judgment is for those who persist in rebellion. Check yourself for any rebellion in your life. Maybe you are not rebellious in action, but are you rebellious in attitude? Because attitudes come from our heart. Check yourself out. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you. Are you fully obeying the word of God at the level of your understanding? If we want the vine of blessing over us, then we need to obey with a right attitude, not a rebellious one. Even when he went to Nineveh, even when he went to Nineveh, he still had a stinking attitude. He still hoped that they would be smoted that they would not have God's blessing, that he would wipe them. And I heard a few little laughs about the cows. The cows are actually mentioned in the book of Jonah. It wasn't just um, the Bible project putting that in, which is very interesting, I thought, too. In closing, I think each of us needs to ponder the question asked at the end of that clip we watched. Are you okay? that God shows mercy and compassion to his enemies? Are you okay that God shows mercy and compassion to your enemies? And I've added one of my own. Do you recognise that God has compassion and mercy, love and grace for you? Don't be a Jonah. Don't not recognise God's goodness for you. Father, I thank you for the story of Jonah. I thank you for the lessons there are to be learnt from this. I ask, Father God, that you would examine our hearts and show us if there are things that need to be adjusted, wounds that need to be healed, offences that need to be forgiven, rebellion that needs to be laid down. 
Father, I thank you for your love and care for us, that you are running after us that you are preparing our hearts for the good things that lie ahead of us that you know we need to have pure hearts for. I just want to give you a moment if you want to ask the Lord your heart to his heart to examine your heart, then you just ask him. Just tell him, Holy Spirit, I give you permission to examine my heart and show me what is there that is not pleasing to you.